Welcome to Frankly. This podcast is being recorded from St. Anne and the Holy Trinity Church, which is the pro-cathedral of the Episcopal Diocese of Long Island. We're in downtown Brooklyn, in Brooklyn Heights, at the crossroads of everywhere, as I like to say. And St. Anne says its mission is building community at the intersection of faith and culture. Our podcast is called Frankly because it was uh, conceived in the fall of 2019 when we at St. Anne's were celebrating the legacy of St. Francis of Assisi as a peacemaker, justice seeker, and lover of all creation. Francis is believed to have said, preach the gospel at all times when necessary, use words. We believe that to navigate the that navigating the challenges of our time will require words of wisdom from a wide range of smart and caring people who can offer straight talk from the heart. And so uh, my guest today is the Reverend Dr. Craig Townsend, who is the Associate for Faith Formation here at St. Anne's. He'll be talking with us about faith and food on what happens to be Earth Day of all things. So happy Earth Day, Craig. Happy Earth Day, John. And welcome. Um, Thank you. I want to acknowledge that as the Associate for Faith Formation, uh, you have no job description particularly, but <laughs> you've taken on many things, among them being a walk through the Bible from start to finish. And as we speak, um, you are just one session away from getting to the end. Um, yes. So congratulations on that. And Thank you. In two weeks, we finish Revelation, and a two-year project is, comes to an end. Mm -hmm. um, well, I um, was thinking when I invited you to talk about faith and food today about your being so anchored in Scripture and uh, knowing you were about to preach for us again uh, this Sunday on the story in Scripture in Luke's uh, Gospel about uh, the, what we call the road to Emmaus story when uh, Jesus meets some folks on the road and they hear a lot about his experience, but don't really realize who he is until they're sitting at table with him um, and, and recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Um, so I want to start there and ask you where you want to go from there. Well, thank you, John. Um, I think that's, that's a good start. What I'd like to do is link that actually looking backwards to last Sunday. Um, here we are in Easter season, and so we get these great resurrection stories. And last Sunday um, was the Sunday of Doubting Thomas. It always is the Sunday after Easter. And um, I wanted to touch base with the sort of highlight line of that story when Thomas reaches out um, to Jesus and says, you know, my Lord and my God, and comes to faith, and then Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. And um, I want to remind us of the call of Mother Marie Tatro in her sermon last Sunday, the call to um, be aware of the sensory deprivation in the resurrection stories um, and the addressing of that sensory deprivation in all sorts of interesting ways that she pointed out, but also the call then to us to look for how do we see the Christ that we don't get to 
um, touch and examine the wounds, etc. So if we go from that, from looking for Christ to this Sunday, seeing Christ, recognizing Christ in the breaking of the bread, in this wonderful story about having supper on the road to Emmaus, that framework, it seems to me, gives us a way of thinking about faith and food. And I do want to just highlight, you know, that these two guys in the story are running away from Jerusalem and afraid because Jesus has been crucified and they've heard this wild tale of a resurrection. And this guy appears and starts talking to him, to them, and they don't recognize him. You know, it's Jesus walking with them, but they don't recognize him, which is such a weird trend in many of the resurrection stories. (laughs) And so it, but, you know, they talk, he tells them all sorts of stuff. He has a response to their, you know, disappointment, etc. And then they're like, you know, it's getting dark. Come on in. We're going to have some supper. And they invite him into supper where he then takes the bread, breasts, breaks the bread, takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, gives the bread. In other words, the Eucharistic actions. And their eyes are opened. They recognize him. And then he vanishes from their sight. And they have this great line. Um, the story has this great finish where um, they immediately get up and run back to Jerusalem. So they've been running away. Now they go back and tell everybody, you know, tell the disciples um, how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And the wonderful St. Anne and the Holy Trinity detail is that we have a fabulous window depicting stained glass window depicting this scene which for reasons that are unknown to anyone I've been able to talk to, um, features on the table, not a large loaf of bread, but apparently a roast chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I think I want to argue that that adds an amazing <laughs> sense of normality of, yeah. you know, of every day, every man kind of, you know, ness to, to the story of the, you know, this mystical encounter over a roast chicken. I think, you know, it kind of grounds it for us. So, and that actually, that's, that's, so those are the stories I want to talk about a little bit yeah. today. Well, um, I, and I, and I think uh, you're intending to go here, but I just want to put some more context to this conversation. That, sure. Uh, you know, of course we are, in all self-isolating um, in this time of the COVID-19 crisis. And uh, it has been a challenge for our community uh, in many ways, including not being able to worship together. Um, our celebration of the Eucharist, which is so central to our identity and our practice has been, we've been deprived of that. And so as you talk mm-hmm. about deprivation, sensory deprivation that Marie uh, Tatro brought up, um, and try to connect uh, that to where you're uh, thinking of going. I mean, it's, it's just sort of, it's in, in the room, if you will. And speaking of which, you're in a room, or perhaps several, <laughs> but where you've been in quarantine all yeah. alone. Um, and so this sense of deprivation, <laughs> privation and deprivation is so, has been so heightened for you. Um, so Yeah, it really... It, it's it's been an extraordinary time. Uh, my my mother, who is 89, turning 90 next month, um, lives in a senior community up here in Maine, in independent living, a very nice house. Um, 
and uh, she developed debilitating back pain. So I came up to help her out for what I thought would be a few days trading off with my brother who lives in New Hampshire because she just literally couldn't get it. She could barely get it from bed to the chair, um, let alone, you know, she couldn't fix meals and get to the doctor to get some pain medication, et cetera. So I came up for what I thought would be a few days, turned into two weeks of taking care of her because as the COVID crisis developed, um, I was here. And if I went home, I wouldn't be able to come back. And it was, we just, the whole back and forth didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So then just as she finally is coming out of that, she's that starting to heal. Um, two weeks that I've been here at that point, um, she got the COVID virus and, um, and went to the, went into the hospital. She's now been in the hospital for 22 days and, um, you know, it nearly killed her. Um, and, um, but she is on the road to recovery. It appears, um, she's very weak and frail as a result and she's still got a lot, long way to go, but we are much more hopeful, but yes. So as a result, you know, I took her to the hospital on the 31st of March and the next day they got back the result that she was COVID positive Mm. and I was immediately quarantined Mm. here in this house. With her 13-year-old golden retriever who is completely deaf and has a very complicated diet, but um, has been my steady companion. But, you know, I was stuck here with no plan to be here for any length of time. And and I'm now out of quarantine, but even so, I've been in this limbo of trying to figure out where my mother goes next. And I'm glad your mom's doing better. And as much as I'm glad you have the dog, you're you're not exactly breaking bread with her, so. No, I am not breaking bread with her. But food has been an essential issue for me because I'm here in this house where, you know, if you have to be quarantined, it's a big, comfortable Mm -hmm. house and I can cook my own meals, but I can't go out to get food. And that pretty much immediately became an issue. Um, But fortunately, uh, there's all sorts of people who um, offered me assistance. And and I have to say that the first thing that happened, um, actually, was that my oldest son, who lives in Brooklyn, in Greenpoint, um, three days after I was went into quarantine, had somehow rushed an order to me from Omaha Steaks. <laughs> so I had a supply of steaks and burgers and hot dogs <laughs> because my mother's got a patio and a yard and there's a grill out there because, nice. you know, I learned to grill from my father and um, for as long as he lived here before he died, um, he still used the grill. So I like mm. to get the grill out. Uh, my mother really enjoys it if, if we grill for her because it does sort of evoke my mm. father's presence. Mm. So suddenly I have this big white styrofoam box full of meat that <laughs> <laughs> is very specifically designed for me to have this um, ongoing opportunities to grill. Even as and, a vegetarian, was, I can say I'm very happy for you. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're, you're precisely the person, John, who can uh, really appreciate. <laughs> no, the, I'm embracing this story fully. The many gifts that I've received. So, um, <laughs> But, you know, so I like instantly grilled a steak that night. But then I was like, a burger would be great. I don't have any burger buns. And I'm starting to realize, you know, there's a bunch of essentials I don't have. And my mother is very active in the Episcopal Church here in Brunswick, Maine. Uh, St. Paul's Church, fabulous place. 
And um, the rector, I got in touch with the rector and said, you know, you, you need to know what's going on with my mother. Um, the rector is a woman named Carolyn Eklund, and she put my mother on the prayer list and um, has stayed in touch with me. But she immediately offered, we have volunteers here at the church who are ready to go shopping for people. And I'm like, okay, if I need that, I'll let you know. Well, now I'm like, I need burger buns. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I need burger buns. I need guacamole in a big way. <laughs> and I really need some hand lotion because my mother keeps this house at about 112 degrees. And my hands, the skin of my hands is cracking. And I, so, so I put together this totally bizarre list of the things I thought I needed. And emailed it to her and you know a day later uh this parishioner a guy named hugh savage who my mother has known for years drops off a bag of groceries for me and we've we arranged that i can reimburse him via P paypal so because i don't have much cash i don't have a checkbook i can't sign my mother's check so right. i'm like how do i pay you and I'm like, oh paypal sure mm. so um, technology, where would we be without it? Mm. So I've got, now I've got guacamole for my lunches. I've got buns for my burgers. My hands are fabulous. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say so. Silky um, and I just, but I was so touched, you know, by this, this kind of immediate response of ministry to me here in my house where I literally was not, according to the CDC, allowed to go outside unless I was walking the dog. And so I walk the dog a lot because mm. <laughs> I need to get outside. Um, so now I've got, you know, some basics, but you know, now I've grilled a steak and I've had a burger and I am about to run out of charcoal and I got a lot of meat here and I need charcoal. <laughs> so, and um, so my, it turns out my youngest brother, I'm here in Brunswick, Maine, where Bowdoin College is. Both of my younger brothers went to Bowdoin. My youngest brother, one of his closest friends from college, has stayed here in, in Brunswick, has lived here, is married, has kids, and has offered to get me anything I need. So I say to my brother, okay, I need charcoal. <laughs> and, and he says, I'll get Eric on it. And Eric texts me the next day and says, you know, what do you need? I said, I need charcoal. And he says, great, I can do that. And then he texts me back, do you need anything else? And I'm like, okay, I need bourbon. <laughs> so the next day, Eric drops off at the front door. And this is all just talking through a closed door. He drops off two small bags of charcoal and... Uh, mm nice bottle of bourbon and awesome. says, let me know if you need anything else. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, this should cover me for a little while. <laughs> but then of course, no, I start to run out of other things. And so a few days later I get back in touch with Hugh at the church who has said, let me know. I can shop for you again. And I'm like, you know, I'm out of cider, maybe some broccoli and pasta. Well, I didn't realize how hard it had become to get pasta. Oh, yeah. So when he delivered the next bag of groceries, lovely stuff. I um, mean, picked up everything I'd asked for. It was great. But I pulled a box of pasta out of the bag. Was and it it's turmeric oh. pasta. <laughs> I don't even know what turmeric pasta <laughs> it's means. It's a very bitter um, root. 
vegetable or yeah I, you know it's a i mean i know the spice but right. i've never seen a turmeric yeah. pasta before pasta. and and who buys such a thing <laughs> so but now i have a box of it and i'd ask for some pasta and i'd ask for some bacon there were still some eggs here so i can make myself a carbonara there you go a little pasta carbonara so i made turmeric pasta carbonara how which, was that it was delicious. It was fantastic. <laughs> I was really stunned. <laughs> See that? Your horizons are expanding. Exactly. Here I am in quarantine, and people are introducing me to new foods. <laughs> it, was, it was great. All right. And then the big climax is a, I have a colleague, Will Payton, I used to work with uh, in, at St. James in New York, who's now rector of um, St. Paul's Memorial Church in Charlottesville, Virginia. And even when we were colleagues, we just got this habit long ago of sending photos to each other of whatever we were grilling. If we were, if he was on vacation, he was grilling and you know, I was grilling in my backyard. We just send photos back and forth and we keep, we still do all the time. And he sends me randomly the other day, a photo of, you know, he's smoking a pork shoulder, mm. you know, pulled pork is what he's making. And I'm like, wow, that looks great. Send me some, he said <laughs> facetiously. And two days later, he sends me a picture of a box and says, it's on its way. And two days after that, I have a container of pulled pork that he made himself, barbecue sauce that he mm. made himself, you know, more hamburger buns, because I'd used up all those, <laughs> um, you know, sesame buns to, to put the pork on. And a small container of turnip greens, which again oh. is not something I normally eat, oh. but he sent it to me. So I lay out this dinner and I'm like, I'm having the turnip greens. You yeah. bet. And I take a photo of it and send it back to him. I'm just like, he just sent me pulled pork through the US mail. That's amazing. I, so I, I have all to say, I'm trying I don't to know say is, why you would leave this place since you're it's I know. literally <laughs> a jackpot of, you know. I, it just oh. would be, hold that thought. Yeah. Okay, we're rolling. So, oops. There you oh, are. Wait, what just happened there? Oh, hold on. Okay, now we're good. Um, so, yeah, so the, the thing is, um, if it weren't for the fact that I'm desperately lonely to be with my wife and family, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's... You know, not being in Brooklyn, one of the epicenters of the COVID virus, mm. being here in Pleasant, Maine could actually right. be nice. But and accepting you know, deliveries of food every other yeah. day. So, but that's the thing is the isolation is, is really hard. I mean, yes. you know, so I can FaceTime and Zoom with my family and friends and I'm, you know, teaching my classes from here and all yeah. of that. And that's great. But, uh, you know, it's just, I'm surrounded by senior citizens who, of course, I, I don't even know, and who, you know, we can't get near each other, particularly when I was under quarantine. So, you know, we sort of wave at each other, and that's my personal human interaction. Wow. And so to have these food deliveries, to have food become the thing that connected me to people, and that literally was, I realized, this is the risen Christ. You know, this is the breaking of the bread. This is as close as we get is people delivering food, mm -hmm. are breaking bread with us, and our eyes should be opened. 
to see them as the risen Christ. That's beautiful. And it's actually been a really profoundly powerful spiritual experience for me. That's that's awesome. Even the turmeric pasta. Yeah, (laughs) a lesson (laughs) for us all. Um, Let me ask you a last question, um, just to tie this all together. Um, So that's beautiful. I I I I was going to ask you know you to give some language to the faith and food connection vis-a-vis the delivery of food and you did so eloquently um but in terms of the sort of the experience our faith communities are saint anne's in particular but many of us have had in this time apart and in terms of like the the place of the role of food in scripture which i i'm sure you could um you know muse on for or muse about for for an hour and a half easily but just thinking about how important food is <laughs> to the people of god um mm-hmm. in the history of salvation um in scripture you know uh and and our and our our deprivation now sensory yeah and and our the, the 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 you know the loss in some sense of communion with our brothers and sisters and the ability to share um, the Eucharist. What what would you say to you know people who are like us and our community who are in this living in this moment? Right, I think um, one of the things for me is that I I tend to emphasize in the sacraments. Um, the the sense of recognition that in the sacraments we are recognizing something we believe to be true we are acting it out and putting it in front of us and i say this about you know babies at baptism they're already beloved children of god they're becoming members of the christian community but what we're really doing is holding in front of us the knowledge the belief the faith that this is a beloved child of god and communion for me is you know, a way of recognizing God's continuing nurturing love and making it as concrete as possible by reenacting this meal that Jesus transforms from an actual meal, whether it was a Passover Seder as Matthew, Mark, and Luke think it is, or whether it was a pre-Passover meal as John says, you know, that turning a meal into a sacramental act of recognizing the ways in which food nurtures us as a powerful enactment of how God's love nurtures us. And I think, you know, therefore we have developed these rituals and, you know, you and I as clergy have this wonderful gift of being um, given the, the vocation of consecrating those foods, the bread and the wine that we consecrate by setting them apart for God, by saying the right prayers over them and making the ritual actions. But we're, what we're doing is saying these foods are sacred. We have set them apart for God. I would argue that in this time of deprivation, all of us can consecrate our food when we attend to how it's getting to us in any manner. The people who are risking their lives to deliver it to grocery stores, to man and staff the, the grocery stores, to deliver it to your doorstep. I worry about the, you know, the, the young woman who's delivered pizza to me twice here. You know, is that, is that a good thing? She, I mean, 
these are enormous risks. And I feel like every meal now, I sit there and I look at the food and I think, this food has become holy. And if we can't actually, you know, take together the bread and the wine, then it seems to me we're called to attend to the ways in which we consecrate our own food. Mm-hmm. We offer prayers of thanksgiving over it to, to the people who prepared it, to the people who brought it to us, to the people who transported it, to the people who grew it and harvested it, whatever. But also, therefore, of course, to the God who is present with us. And I feel like we need to really attend to that and empower each other to say, this food, that is, that is consecrated because all of those people they are the risen Christ, and they have just become manifest in the meal you are eating. Yeah. And, and part I, of us, and we are part of one another in that. Yeah, we are intimately connected, mm-hmm. even Receiving as we remain distant. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. you've woven together, you know, um, the meaningfulness of this moment of creating sacred space in our own homes that we've all sort of been called to in a new way, um, even those who have prayed in our homes and, and have been, you know, given thanks uh, for a roof over our heads are kind of understanding the sacredness of that space in a new way as it's become a locus for all yeah. our prayers yeah. and all of our, most of, or all of our time. And so you've woven that together with this great story we're going to hear um, read on Sunday and, and hear you preach on. And frankly, I'd say also um, on our, you know, uh, on our understanding of communion <laughs> as we need to kind of consider it now and Earth Day. To, yeah. Just to think about where our food comes from and the many mm-hmm. hands yeah. uh, that are required and, and really that we need to continue to care for the Earth so that it can continue uh, so we can continue to thrive on its bounty, the bounty of, that's produced from it. Yeah. And, and so I want to go back, actually, to the window in the church of this mystical meal that does not, you have to look for where the bread and the wine are. What is in the center of the window is this roast chicken. And it seems ludicrous. But when I think of it from this perspective now, it seems to me precisely to be saying the meal is mystical and sacred, but it's also a meal and it is concrete and present among us. And pay it, look at it. Look at that. Look at the chicken. It, it's right? ordinary, and it's, but in its yeah. ordinariness, it's, it is. Yeah. It is that the two, this is where the two link. This is where the reality of God and the reality of human beings are, you know, coming together. And we, it, you know, I miss desperately acting that out in the ritual of the, the sacrament of Holy Eucharist. But to be reminded that we are called to see that union, that mixing of the divine and the human in a meal is, uh, it seems to me a possibility that that window is reminding us that that is a possibility at every meal of any kind. And uh, so I like to laugh at that window, but I love that window. Amen. And um, when we're all uh, able to be back in our church again, um, uh, the more you see it, the more I think it will continue to mean, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of coming out of this experience. So 
so until then, uh, continue to be safe. Thank you for um, making a great connection between faith and food um, for our in this conversation. And um, uh, we'll have lots of reasons to be connected. But I, you know, hold out that great hope of us, you know, presiding again at the table and sharing in a holy yes. meal. Um, but until then, yes. thank you for helping remind us of how sacred uh, every meal is. Thank you, John. All Always right. a pleasure. Uh, thank you, Craig. Um, you've been a great guest. <laughs>